all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine. Last week, we started talking a lot about cold and flu season and how it is here, and we talked about the prevention and the vaccines that are available um, for flu and COVID and RSV and pneumonia and all the different vaccines that we have available. Um, Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about what to do, how you treat them. Um, You know, what can you do for your little ones? What medicines can you take if you have high blood pressure? And do they interact with some of your medicines? And when do you need antibiotics and kind of get into all of that aspect of it too because we are starting to see this a lot in our clinic right now you can always send us an email as well to kids at mpbonline.org um, so I want to get into all of that because we kind of started the topic last week, but we didn't get to to finish hitting on everything that I wanted to discuss because I feel like this is just such a common time um, I mean, a common occurrence right now with the colds and flu and everything that's going around and everybody thinks they need antibiotics, but you don't always need antibiotics. And we can talk about um, talk about that. But before we get into that, um, you know, there's a lot going on in our world right now, and it could be really overwhelming for our kids. And so I found... um, a little some tips about how to talk to your kids about this um, and what's going on in the world right now. And if you need to talk to your kids, you know, that's kind of another question is, should we even talk about this? Should But you kind of have to talk about it um, because you can't just ignore it. Unfortunately, our kids, especially if you have kids, you know, even four and older who have been in front of the TV and can kind of process some of the things that are happening, they're seeing the pictures, um, even if the news is on in the background, Um a lot of our older kids, uh, they may have heard some of this stuff at school. And to me, it's more important to make sure you're talking to them so that you can answer any questions and kind of um, put aside some of their fears that they may have developed just from some of the things that they've heard at school. So before we get going with all that, I kind of wanted to talk about that and And maybe people listening out there, you have some tips, too, on how you have handled some of these situations with your kids. Or maybe we even have some psychologists listening. um, And that would be wonderful uh, to give us some tips on what you can do to talk to your kids about this. Because it is a scary time, um, you know, and it it is 
are all around us now. <laughs> you can't avoid it. Um, it's on the radio. It's on the TV. It's on the Internet. It's everywhere. And so kind of what we should do and how we should talk about it uh, with our kids. So just kind of wanted to run through that um, through the first segment. And if you have any comments, give us a call. Um, so, again, you know, the war is the war that's happening right now in the Middle East and with Israel and Gaza, it is it is very overwhelming. It's very distressing. And I was, as I was going through some of this stuff, I was like, you know, I need to tell myself some of this because last week um, I was a little overwhelmed and I had to, my husband had to be like, Morgan, you have to turn it off because <laughs> it was just like really getting to me. Um, you know, I had to take a break from the news and I needed to put my phone down and quit looking at Twitter and quit seeing all the images because it was just truly breaking my heart. And I just it was keeping me up at night. I could, uh, There were two nights I couldn't sleep last week. And so uh, maybe you out there were the same way and you were having some of these feelings, too. And, you know, if we're feeling this as adults and we have better. Um, emotional regulations and can process things a lot better than our kids. Just think about what our kids are experiencing, especially if they've just heard things. You know, that that's the worst. Um, when you just, I heard or so-and-so told me this. Um, and so it's really important for us as parents, as grandparents, um, just as community members that we're talking to our kids about this. So we know if our kids can have a better understanding about what's happening, um, then they're able to cope with it a little bit better. You know, there may be some unrealistic things that they have heard, and so you want to make sure that you're addressing that. So so first and foremost, talk to your kids about it. Um, and also know that you're not going to have the right thing to say. You know, you may not say the perfect thing, um, but just talking to them is what you need to do. Uh, they just need to know that you're there and that you're listening to them and that you can answer any questions that they may have. So that, you know, I kind of want to preface it with that. Um, so want to make sure that, you know, when you're starting this, just kind of ask them what they know. You know, I feel like we do that with all our big talks. Um, even, you know, the the sex, drugs, and rock and roll talk that we give our kids as they're getting older, preteen age. Um, the first thing that I always tell parents is just ask them what they know, because you may be surprised with what all they already know. Um, and again, they've probably been exposed to it between school and the news and just everyday hearing things happening. So start with just asking them what they know um, and see kind of what they can tell you about it. Be honest with them. You know, you can tell them what's happening, but you don't have to go into all of the details. You know, take into account the developmental age. What you're going to tell a six-year-old is going to be different than what you tell a 16-year-old. Um, so you want to just make sure that you're giving just kind of very basic information to them. Um, and then the biggest thing is you want to respond with reassurance to their fears. Um, you know, talk to them about what are you scared about? And it's okay to even say, you know, some of that's a little scary to me too. Um, because again, your kids just want honesty and they want to know that you're listening to them. So it's okay to tell them that you're a little afraid of certain things too. But then you always want to reassure them, um, you know, that we're safe and that we are going to continue to do everything to keep you safe. Um, and then reassure them if they have other fears that come up that you're here to listen to them and that you can always help them try to find a solution for it. 
um, you know, recognize that there are certain kids that may be a little more distressed about certain situations. So um, say maybe your child, um, you and your family members are from another country that have experienced war in the past. Um Maybe you or your child are associated with certain religious affiliations that are involved with this war, um, and that's going to make things a lot more you know, tougher on the situation. Um, and it may not be you directly that is involved with this, um, but it could be your child's best friend um, or it could be your neighbor because, uh, you know, that are having a little more closer ties to this. And so you just want to make sure that you tell your children to be respectful of that um, and that, you know, you want to you know, whether which way you fall or stand, we're not going to get into that today. Um, but that you want to make sure that you're supportive of, you know, your neighbor or your friend, if that is the way that they are feeling. So, um, and then, like I said, I had to tell myself, cut off the TV, or I guess my husband told me to because he was tired of listening to me. (laughs) Um, But, you know, cut off the TV, turn off your phone, put it away, um, especially if you know that that is what's causing you distress. Um, I'm not saying that you want to completely cut yourself off because I don't think that that is not you know, what we need to do, we need to stay informed. Um, You have to know what's going on around you. Uh, But, you know, you do it in smaller doses. Don't sit in front of the TV watching CNN or Fox News or whatever your choice is for four hours a day, um, because that's going to be more distressing for you. So you want to make sure that you're limiting your media coverage. And, um, you know, one of the tips that they said is we're always talking about limiting screen time and media time for our kids. Um, This is the perfect time to do it all together. You know, everybody needs to kind of take a break from it. So, again, not saying cut it off completely uh, because that's kind of impossible to do. You need to know what's going on. But it is nice to take a little break from it at times so that it doesn't get too overwhelming for you. Um, We have a call from Brother Daniel who has some tips, too. Hey, Daniel, hey, what's going on? how you doing, everybody? Good. Hey, how you doing? Good. Hold, hold on one minute. Hold on one minute. Okay, here we go. You still hear me? I can hear all you right. just fine. All right. But listen, listen, um, this is to all the parents, all the children here in the state of Mississippi, the Magnolia. Look, let us not get caught up in the confusion and stuff that are going on with 10% of, of the world. Let us pray and teach our children to understand that to the, the have arguments and, and um, problems and confusion does not mean that you have to fight about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, teach them to be able to know how to talk about it. And when they run into people from different cultures, learn where they're coming from. I think that's one of the things we we tend to get caught up. Like you said, we got to turn off that media sometime, even though the media can be important, like a hurricane, a storm. You know, sometimes it just gets a little hectic. And we know it's all about rating sometimes, you know. But teach our children to understand why they are in the situation they are in this war. Let them understand that it's not necessary to fight. To protect your family is one thing. But to just go ahead and just be getting into violence and, and hating one another just because there's somebody else, it's not the way to go. And and I talk to a lot of kids, they ask me, I'm talking about 11-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 
why do adults fight so much? Why do they argue with one another? Isn't that isn't that kind of ugly? And you know, when kids say ugly, you know what that means. That means bad. So we need to get more into our children's lives and not let let the rest of the world run our children's lives. Let them understand that find peace in what you when you have a a, a conversation with somebody you have an indifference. See what the problem is, because a lot of times it's not worth fighting for, and it's not worth, Lord have mercy, dying for. We're losing too many babies because the Delta are making wrong decisions. Yes, uh, that is such a good good topic to bring up, too. You know, this is the perfect chance to use this as a learning opportunity to talk about other ways that you can settle, res- you can resolve a conflict. So I thank you for bringing that up. We really appreciate that. Um, so before the break, we had a great call who brought up um, a good topic about how it, this is a great opportunity to talk to your kids about how violence is not always the answer um, and how to, you know, resolve resolve conflict outside of that. And I think that's a, a, a perfect, um, a great topic because uh, we are losing too many children and kids and teens to violence, um, particularly gun violence here, especially in the capital area. Um, And, you know, that's what they see a lot of times is, you know, instead of just sitting and talking about things, they automatically resort to violence. Um, And so I think that's a great, great um, topic to make sure that we are addressing. It's a good time to bring up um, that violence is not always the answer and that you can uh, find other ways to resolve the conflict, particularly just by stopping and listening and talking you know see where the other person is coming from um, be respectful of their cultural backgrounds and their religious backgrounds or whatever it may be um, and so I, I I love that you brought that up because I didn't really have that as a top uh, talking point but I think that is a, a great thing that we can do especially for our older kids um, you know this is a good good time to bring that up so thanks for calling in Daniel and sharing that with us um, like before the break, you know, we had just mentioned it's important to make sure that we're talking to our children about this, because if they don't hear it from you, they're going to hear it from somebody else. They're going to see it on TV. They're going to see it on social media. Um, so we always want our information coming from our parents or our grandparents or a close family friend, um, if you can, so that that way they have, you know, they know that you're there. They know that you're there to listen to them, to answer any questions that they may have. You know, don't push it. You know, I wouldn't I would, you know, make sure you bring it up to talk to your kids about it. Uh, But especially if they kind of shut down and they get a little overwhelmed, you know, we definitely don't want you to push it. Um, But that always opens that line of communication. And I've said that many a times on here that it's so important for our kids to know that they have that open line of communication with their parents, with their grandparents, um, whoever it is that their caretaker is, because then they're going to feel more open coming and talking to you when they have a problem. And it may not necessarily be this problem. Um, It could be something else, you know, a conflict with another person that, you know, like Daniel brought up that topic. Um, It could be that they're having some issues with somebody else and they're like, well, what do I need to do? How can I resolve this? As we have already talked about some of the conflict that they're having. So, you know, it just is creating that open line of communication. So, again, talk to them about it. Create that open line of communication. Know that you're not going to always have the perfect thing to say, and that's okay. 
we're humans. We're not always going to have all the answers. Um, even as a doctor, you know, when you come to me for medical advice or a medical problem, I may not always have the right answer either. Um, but we can always try to find you and point you in the right direction of who you may need to see. Um, and you can always do that too with your kids. If you, if especially if your kid has lots of deep questions that you may not know the answers to, you know, you have your pediatrician there to support you. Um, there's teachers, there's school counselors, there's medical health professionals who um, who are specialized in mental health and that can help if, if the problem goes a little bit deeper. So just know that if you don't have the right answer, somebody else probably can help you. And so feel free to reach out and um, and help get that for your kids. So um, just wanted to talk about that a little bit because I know this is a kind of a touchy subject right now and it, it's it's something that our kids are seeing a lot of and I wanted to make sure that we brought that up and addressed it. But uh, So a little bit lighter subject now. We'll kind of transition. Um, I wanted to talk some about colds. We talked a lot about all the different vaccines that are available last week, um, so I won't go into all of that in detail again. Uh, but I wanted to kind of lean more towards, you know, what you can do for your colds and flu. Uh, because we, a lot of times we'll have people come into the office and they will say, you know, they woke up with a runny nose and can you please give me an antibiotic? Can you please give me a steroid shot? I, I need to feel better. Um, and so we want to talk a little bit about when do you actually need that? Um, or is do you need an antibiotic? Do you need a steroid? When do you need to go to the doctor? You may not even need, need to go to the doctor. So I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about that. So first and foremost, our kids, especially if they're in daycare, they are going to get sick a lot. And even if your kids never went to daycare and say they didn't get sick that much in their first few years of life, well, just wait till kindergarten because it's coming. Um, because that's just kind of part of our nature. You know, we have to be, we're going to be exposed to all of these throughout the rest of our life. Um, so it's just a matter of time. So if you didn't go to daycare before, um, then you're probably going to get it once you start school. So I, I saw that uh, here recently with some of my patients who are now starting kindergarten and they've been into the clinic a few times getting checked out because now they're catching all the stuff that they didn't catch because they weren't in daycare. Um, so it's very common and it feels like it's never ending uh, because a lot of times you'll get a cold and most of our cold viruses can last anywhere between 10 to 14 days and then it's like you get another one the next week, I mean the next month. And then again, you do the whole cycle of 10 to 14 days. And then it just feels like it's never ending. Um, but if you truly look back at it, you can see a little break in there where they actually were fairly healthy and then they just caught another cold. So um, so this time of year can be pretty exhausting to parents. Um, I saw there's like a little video going around on social media that's pretty funny. It's like setting out my fall decorations and it's the mom I'm putting up all the cough and cold medicines out and the Kleenex and all the stuff because, I mean, that's that's just how it is this time of year, unfortunately. Um, the other thing this time of year is ragweed is out. And a lot of our people down here in the South are allergic and have um, allergic responses to the ragweed. So it's kind of hard to say, is it your allergies? Are you catching a cold? Um, because both of those can be happening this time of year, unfortunately. The other thing we see a lot of this time of year is asthma flare-ups um, because the weather, although this week is a little bit of an exception, I think we got a little tease last week, last weekend, or when was that, two weekends ago when we had such nice weather and cool air coming in, uh, but I think it's supposed to warm up some this weekend, but 
typically this time of year, the weather's getting a little bit cooler. Um, and the changes in the weather and the fluctuations like that can also flare up people's asthma. So, so just wanted to talk a lot about what you can do for that at home and when you should worry and when to go into the doctor. So again, I mentioned colds are going to last 7 to 10 days, sometimes even extending into 10 to 14 days. Uh, So we kind of give you, we like to just treat supportively. And I feel like everybody always just kind of sighs when we say that. But really, um, a virus, our bodies will fight off the virus. It's just going to take some time. Um, So while it can be frustrating, the best thing that we can do is just kind of support our body through that. I can't stress enough how important it is to get rest um, and for your children to be able to get rest. If your kids are run down um, with going from activity to activity, doing staying up late, doing their homework, that kind of thing, they're way more likely to catch a cold. And it is going to be a lot harder for them and their bodies to recover if they are not truly resting. So just wanted to make sure that we talked about the importance of that because our kids these days are super busy and they're constantly on the go and so they're not getting a lot of them are not getting the rest that they need so that's can definitely play a factor into how often they're getting sick so important thing make sure they're getting plenty of rest you also want to make sure they're drinking plenty of fluids Um, a lot of our older kids and our adults you're not really going to run much fever with a cold that's just kind of, you know, our body at this point has been exposed to so many different viruses that our response, you know, we have a lot of like cross coverage from antibodies that we have had in the past from infections. Um, so you may not get as robust of a response with a fever Um as opposed to our little ones who are going to get fever, and they're the ones who are already going to be more at risk for dehydration. So, you know, a lot of our little babies, when they get sick, they don't want to take their bottles as well. They don't want to breastfeed as well. They may not eat Um, Their appetite is decreased. And so they're going to be a little bit at higher risk for getting dehydrated um, because usually an adult can force themselves to drink. A baby, it's a lot harder to make them drink. Um, It can be really frustrating on the parents. So then you add in the fact that they're having a fever. And whenever you have a fever, you have a little more what we call insensible losses. So um, your body is hot. And the way our body cools off is by sweating. And so you get those kind of like sweaty little fevers too. Um, And so just setting up our little ones for a higher risk for getting dehydrated. So rest and fluids are the most important things that we can do when we do get sick. Want to make sure that we're keeping our body adequately hydrated, especially if they're getting a fever. With little ones, it can be difficult because, you know, a lot of our little ones can't drink just water. Um, because we don't really recommend that until they get at least six months uh, because it can affect their their electrolyte shifts and their sodium. So for our little bitty ones, um, you really just want to try to let them get some of their, their bottle or their breastfeeding in. Um, you can give a little Pedialyte, and that's fine. Um, as they get older, you can alternate water and Pedialyte. So once they hit at least six months or nine months, you can definitely give them some water and alternate that with Pedialyte. And I always tell parents not to push it. Like, you know, typically our babies are eating about every three to four hours. 
try not to force it every three to four hours. Try to do like a little bit at a time. Um, so maybe like every 30 minutes, offer them a few sips here and there. Uh, because if you give it all at once, it's going to be a little overwhelming for them. And then that's just going to kind of turn them away. Not to mention if they have a lot of drainage, they may get a little nauseated and then they may be more likely to spit up, throw up. So kind of like we do as adults, just think of it that way. You know, you're not going to go just chug a big bottle of water when you're not feeling great. You're going to kind of slowly sip on it throughout the day. And so it's the same thought process for our kids too. Um, So just kind of slowly introducing a little bit of that. I always try to reassure parents that it's okay for your kid not to eat that much, you know, especially if like, you know, they're six, seven months old and you just recently started them on baby foods, or maybe they're nine, 10 months old and you recently started them on table foods. Even our toddlers, you know, who do eat regular table foods, they're probably not going to want to eat much. You don't want to eat much when you get sick and you have a lot of drainage in the back of your throat and you just feel kind of bull, you know. You don't want to go eat a lot. They're not going to want to eat a lot. Don't push it. Um, their appetite is going to come back. Continue to offer them the food and offer them little bites throughout the day. Um, but don't get too upset if they don't sit down and eat a full big plate meal. That's okay. As long as you're giving them fluids and they're staying adequately hydrated, they're having good urine output, plenty of wet diapers, their appetite is going to come back. Um, And so they'll eventually catch up. So I just always try to reassure parents that because um, it can be really distressing as a parent when you're trying to get your kid to eat and drink and they won't eat anything. Um, As long as they're having plenty of wet diapers, and when I say plenty of wet diapers, we want at least three in a 24-hour period, um, then they're getting adequate hydration and you're doing enough. So just wanted to make sure we we talked about that because I we get those calls all the time. What do I need to do if they're not eating and drinking? This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We are talking today about cold and flu viruses and what you can do for them and when do you need to go to the doctor. Um, so just a quick re- recap. Colds last, they're usually caused by a virus. They can last anywhere between 7 to 10 days, and some can even extend to 10 to 14 days. Uh, Very common for you to not want to eat and drink very much, so we always just recommend trying to slowly offer the, the liquid throughout the day to keep your babies hydrated. And you want to make sure that they're having at least three wet diapers in a 24-hour period. And then most importantly, you need to give your body rest. So babies need rest. Our kids and teens need rest. And adults, we need rest in order for our bodies to heal up. Um, So besides that, what else can we do? Um, So we don't really recommend any medicines. In particular, you know, antihistamines are one of our big go-tos for that runny nose and congestion that you get. Um, The antihistamine typically will help dry some of that up. Um, It's in all the cough and cold medicines that you get over the counter, or you could just buy it by itself with Benadryl, Zyrtec, Allegra, any of those. We don't recommend those under six months of age. Um, You know, if you're kind of close to the borderline, we may tell you you can go in and give a little bit. But typically, in general, we're not going to recommend starting any medicines until you hit at least six months. Now, that being said, if your kid did have a fever um, with it, so maybe they're four months old and they have a fever, it's okay to give them a little Tylenol. But with regards to like actual cold medicines, we try to hold off until at least six months. 
Motrin, we also don't give until at least six months. So just Tylenol is about the only medicine we can give um, if your baby is under six months. Uh, for our adults, most of the, if you get cold symptoms, it's usually totally fine for you to take the antihistamine. Um, majority of the antihistamines aren't going to cause uh, that many problems with your blood pressure. And especially if you're only taking it for a short duration, um, it's usually not going to cause a problem. Now, Sudafed is available over the counter now, um, and not just like our, our real Sudafed, um, not the ones that you can get at the Sudafedra. Uh, that's just over the counter. Um, but so a lot of times you'll see like Zyrtec D or Claritin D, Allegra D, anything that has the D part. Um, those are the decongestant medications and they work wonderfully and they make you feel a lot better with your, with your congestion. Those are the ones that are typically going to raise your blood pressure a little bit more. And so that's the one that you got to be a little bit more careful about. As long as your blood pressure is pretty well controlled, um, you know, you're only on a couple of medicines, it's not going to hurt you to just take, uh, you know, take it for a few days. Um, they do make the quercetin high blood pressure medicine that a lot of people will, you know, take. And that, those are fine. It's essentially, again, just an antihistamine and a little low-dose decongestant. Um, but the the Sudafed, the, the real decongestant, Again, if your blood pre- if you have high blood pressure, your blood pressure is still fairly well controlled. It's usually fine for you to take a few days of it. Now, I wouldn't extend it for long periods of time, um, but if you're pretty miserable, it's okay for you to take that. Our little kids, we really try to avoid that. Now, teenagers, it's fine um, for them to take it because most of our teenagers are are practically, you know, when you look at their body size, it's pretty adequate for it for dosing purposes. For our younger ones, you're going to be have to be a little bit more cautious of. I personally don't do that until they're at least five or six um, when it comes to the decongestant medicines. Uh, some of our, you know, cough and cold medicines that you get over the counter have the decongestants in it. So you need to really be careful and read the label and talk to your doctors about it. Um, but some of those decongestant medicines can be safe for your kids once they hit about age four, five, six. So you just want to make sure you talk to your doctor about that. Cough medicines are the same way. Um Mucinex is a good option. Um, a lot of people with high blood pressure ask me about Mucinex, and that is totally fine to take. Um, and for the most part, it's fine for our kids to take. So um, you have to just look at the label and see. The dextromethorphan is the cough suppressant that you have to be a little bit careful about for our little ones. Um, and there are some combinations of Mucinex that do have that in it, and so you just want to make sure you look for that. So most of those are going to be labeled the DM, um, and that stands for the dextromethorphan, which is the, the cough suppressant. Um, True Jusquafenacin, which is what Mucinex is, is usually totally fine to take. That's also in Ropitussin. Um, and so most of our kids are going to be fine to take that. Most of our adults are going to be fine to take that. It's the dextromethorphan sometimes that can can cause some side effects. So some adults may be a little more sensitive to that, that medicine, and definitely our kids. So again, that's one that you want to make sure that you look at the label for. Um, and if it's just straight up mucinex, that's usually going to be fine for our children, and it's usually going to be fine for our adults. But if it has the dextromethorphan in it, that's the one where you want to make sure your child is at least... again, four to six before you start that. And then for adults, you also may want to be a little more cautious of it because sometimes it can have side effects as well. 
The other good real um, natural thing that's really good for a cough um, is honey. So, and people always ask me, well, like, how am I supposed to do the honey? Yeah, just pour it on a spoon and take it. You know, there's no right or wrong way to do that. Um, but, and you can't really overdose on it. I guess you may have to be a little careful if you have sugar problems and diabetes. Um, but for the most part, you can't really overdose on the honey. It's going to be fine. And the nice thing about the honey is, is it coats your throat. And so in that way, it's just soothing from that standpoint. But it has some antibacterial, anti-inflammatory properties to it, too. So it's really good Um for colds and coughs. So the only caveat is uh, you can't give it under age one because there is an association with uh, botulism. So we do not recommend honey until you get to be age one. But once your kid turns one, it is one of the best cough medicines that we have. And we tell people about it all the time. I think Robitussin makes... um, an actual concoction now that has um, the guafenicin and the dextromethorphan, but it also has honey in it too. Um, and then a lot of our natural medicines that we see in our kids, so like Zarbies or Highlands, those are all like fancy brands that are just all natural medicines for our kids. Pretty much all of them are based off of honey. Um, so you can save the money and not have to worry about buying a fancy brand and just put some honey on a spoon and give it to your kid uh, before they go to bed. You can give it to them before they go to school. Um, and it, it can be really helpful. So a lot of people, too, will talk about um, doing honey that is from your area because the, the thought process is, especially if it's related to allergies, the thought process is the, the bees that pollinate and make the honey um, are going to be more natural to what allergies you're going to be exposed to for your area. From what I've read and talking to allergists, there's not a ton of data to support that. So don't worry about making sure you get like specific, like local honey. Um, you can just get the honey over the counter at the local grocery store. It doesn't have to be a specific type of honey. Um, just know that. Just wanted to make sure we threw that out there. Because <clears throat> a lot of people are concerned about making sure it's local honey and that it'll work that way. Um, for our little ones, you know, we don't, in adults, you don't necessarily have to go to the doctor for a cold. Um, you know, I always tell people if you have fever more than three days, then you probably need to go see the doctor for our little ones. Um, but for the most part, fever is only going to last like one to two days. And so you don't always have to run to the doctor for that. If your baby's little, under like three or four months of age, then I would recommend going and being evaluated by the doctor. Um, a lot of those babies we will test for flu and for RSV uh, just so we can kind of know and what it helps us with our counseling for our patients. The older you get, we don't always routinely check for those as much, especially RSV. Because that they're not really going to change what we do. Um, and we are, we're going to talk a little bit more about RSV in a second. But typically with the adults, RSV just causes a cold. It's our little babies that we worry about. And so it helps us kind of know um, how to counsel our patients, uh, make sure we tell them what to look for, and maybe may change a little bit some of the treatments that we do. Uh, but if your kid's older, um, we're not routinely going to check for that. And so, and especially adults, we don't usually routinely check for that. Uh, so there's not, you know, you don't have to always run to the doctor for the cold. Um, and you, a lot of the stuff you can do supportively. 
when do you need antibiotics? I feel like that's the biggest question. Everybody comes to us and, can you just give me one of those antibiotic shots, or a little rocephin? This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We have been talking about colds and what medicines you can take and uh, ran through like antihistamines are usually going to be pretty safe for everybody, even patients um, that have high blood pressure or diabetes. It's safe for you to take those medicines. Um, we usually don't start them till you're at least six months old, though, so that's something to think about. A lot of the decongestant medicines and cough medicines, there is potential for them to affect your blood pressure, and so you want to make sure that you talk with your doctor about it. Uh, but if your blood pressure is fairly well controlled, a few days of that medicine is not usually going to cause a problem. Um, our little ones, though, we don't recommend that, and until at least age four. Um, Age four to six is kind of a gray zone, so you want to just make sure you talk to your doctor about those medicines. Uh, But you just need to be careful with some of those over-the-counter medicines. And then um, I wanted to talk a little bit about antibiotics because I feel like that's one of the biggest questions we get. The first thing you say when you come to the doctor is, well, can I just get one of those antibiotic shots? And I want to talk a little bit about why we don't always use the antibiotics and when you might need it. Um, so pretty much every vir- every cold is going to be caused by a virus. There's a million different viruses. There's a specific virus panel that we can run in the hospital. We don't usually do it in the clinic, but um, sometimes we will do it on patients in the hospital when we don't really know what's going on. And I think there's probably at least 20 viruses on that panel that it can test that can lead to the common cold. So majority of people, when you get sick and you get a cold, it's going to be caused by a virus. There's a few viruses that we have medicines for, um, like the flu. Um, We now have an antiviral for COVID. Um, But for the most part, we don't have a lot of medicines for viruses. Um, And that's because, you know, like we talked about last week, viruses change a lot. um, And so it's hard for us to get a medicine specifically for that. That being said, antibiotics are for bacteria. They are not for viruses. And so if you have a cold and it's caused by a virus, it's kind of a waste of time to start an antibiotic. Um, And then so maybe you're listening out there and you're like, well, I got that Rocephin shot and it made me feel better after a day or two. So a lot of times by the time you go to the doctor, you're on like day five, day six, and you're probably going to feel better in the next day or two anyway. So was it the antibiotic shot? Eh, probably not. It probably was just going to get better with time anyway. Um, so that's just something to think about, too. You know, certain cases, antibiotics are indicated. So, you know, like I told you, majority of the time, uh, viruses are going to last anywhere between 7 to 10 days, sometimes 10 to 14 days. So if you have been dealing with this for a week, you're still miserable, you haven't gotten any improvement, um, you're having a lot of sinus pressure, sinus tenderness. And so when I say that, I'm talking about kind of like you know, right around your cheeks, under your eyes, where that just feels really full and it's full of pressure and pain. Um, And it's been at least a week. You know, that may be a time to consider going to see the doctor. Uh, And that's because 
you know, with these viruses, you get a lot of mucus buildup. We all know that. You've experienced it. Um, but if that mucus sits in your sinuses for too long, it just like anywhere, if anything sits with fluid for too long, there's a risk for an, a secondary infection. And then that may be when a bacteria has set in. So, you know, if you've gone seven days, you've done your best to support it through, um, but you're still having tons of sinus pressure and pain, yeah, it may be a good time to go see your doctor and see if you wouldn't benefit from some antibiotics because you may have an acute case of bacterial sinusitis and you may need an antibiotic. Um, that being said, for our kids, too, you know, ear infections are super common. Little ones don't typically get sinusitis, per se, um, but they do get ear infections a lot. And so what we typically see with uh, babies who get ear infections you run fever, you have all the runny nose congestion. Um, fever lasts like a day or two, but the congestion persists. And then after a few days, your baby spikes another fever. Or after a few days, your baby quits sleeping through the night because they wake up screaming. Um, or they're, you may see them swatting at their ear sometimes. Um, and that could be a sign of an ear infection because, again, that fluid has set in the ears with all that pressure from the virus. I mean, all that fluid from the virus. And then a bacteria has set in and it's caused a buildup of um, infected fluid or sometimes even like just frank pus back there. Um, and then it builds up pressure and they get a lot of pain from that because the eardrum gets a lot of pressure from that behind the ear. And so in that case, you need an antibiotic as well. Um, and then lastly, the other complication that we see sometimes is pneumonia. And so how to know, do you have pneumonia or is this just part of your your virus that's causing the upper respiratory symptoms. So again, most patients um, are going to get better after a few days. And then if you're not kind of turning the corner after seven days, or maybe it's even like been five days, but your cough is getting worse and not better, um, especially if you run a fever after four to five days, then, you know, it's again, all of these symptoms should be getting better, not worse. So if you're taking a turn for the worse, then you want to make sure you go see the doctor, um, especially if you're having fever or a worsening cough. And definitely if you're having any shortness of breath, you want to make sure you go get checked out. So those are going to be the three big reasons and complications that we give antibiotics after a cold. Some people do have like wheezing um, and you can get like a bronchitis type picture or maybe you have asthma and you ha are wheezing worse um, or COPD. And those may be a reason to get steroids. Typically, you don't have to have steroids um, for just a cold. Um, we will give it sometimes for a really bad sinusitis, but even for that, we really try not to. Um, steroids, just like antibiotics, come with side effects. And so you want to make sure we're trying to avoid those if we can. But if you're wheezing or you're having a really bad case of bronchitis, then we may go in and give you some steroids too. So why don't we just give antibiotics? You know, not only do they not work for viruses, but the more antibiotics that you use, um, we have bacteria everywhere. We have bacteria in our systems. We have bacteria all throughout the environment. The more antibiotics we're using, those bacteria are getting smarter and they're learning how to evade those antibiotics. So we see this all the time. The last time I was in service in the hospital, um, when was that? Just like a month or two ago, um, I had at least three patients come in with these crazy resistant infections. Um, 
that we could barely find antibiotics to treat. You know, when we, whenever a bacteria grows, we always run it and see what antibiotics it's sensitive to. And um, there's this specific type out there that we actually ended up having three patients with um, that is only resi- only sensitive to like one certain medicine. Um, and that's scary, you know, when you think about it, um, especially for, you know, it may not be scary for like, you know, me and Kevin who are pretty healthy people and don't have a lot of medical problems, but for our patients who do have a lot of medical problems and are getting admitted to the hospital and are easier to catch infections, you know, these people are going to be very limited with what antibiotics they can take. So even our just like getting antibiotics for little colds is contributing some to this resistance in our bacteria. And so we just need to be mindful of that. So we're not trying to be the mean doctors who tell you you don't need any medicines and you don't need an antibiotic. We really are trying to look out for your safety um, and for your future health, too, so that when you do need an antibiotic, that your body is going to be able to utilize that antibiotic and we can kill that bacteria. So um, I just wanted to throw that out there because even my family gets mad at me when I, they ask me for, can you send me in an antibiotic? I'm like, you don't need an antibiotic. You've only been sick for a few days. So hopefully that cleared up a lot and answered some questions that you may have. So um, if there was something you missed and you have a question, you know, you can always send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. Uh, This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Kevin Farrell. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod. Join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone 